You are listening to a message recorded at Living Hope Church in Southwick, Massachusetts. We hope you find encouragement through God's word today. So I want to begin a series with you called Roots and Fruit. Three or four part series where we'll be talking about why we do the things that we do and how can God change that in us. You ever wake up and wonder to yourself, why do I do? the things that I do. I'm talking about like the annoying habits that you have. Like no matter how many times you've tried to change it, you have had little to no success at changing it about yourself. And sometimes it may be uh, something just, just kind of a quirk of your personality. And then there's other times where it's something that's just unpalatable, something about yourself you don't necessarily care for. You see it and you're like, wow, that's, I just wish that I could stop being so angry or so quick-tempered or, uh, you know, so easily offended, whatever the case might be, uh, you know, and sometimes you have to ask yourself, like, well, where, where does that come from, you know, where did that begin, you know, and so there are things in your life that despite being a Christian, you might always find yourself doing patterns that keep showing up in your life, whether it's a bad temper, swearing a lot, getting offended, wanting people to like you and, like, living to please people, or just procrastination, I just want you to know that I believe that every bad behavior has a root where it comes from. If you deal with the root, you'll deal with the fruit, okay? You deal with the root, you deal with the fruit. Sometimes we're trying to, like, clip off the fruit, and the tree remains. Because you know what's going to happen the next season, more of that fruit's going to show up. So, like, as much as we might try and deal with the symptoms, we really got to deal with the root of the problem. Now, the Apostle Paul talks about this dilemma in Romans chapter 7, looking at verses 18 through 25. And if you don't uh, have your Bible, that's okay. Uh, we'll have it on the screen behind you. But will you just look at it with me for a little bit here? And we'll see that, you know, the Apostle Paul had his struggles as well. And so, looking at verse 18, he says, For I know that nothing good dwells in me. That is my flesh, for I have the desire to do what's right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good that I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who does it, but the sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells within my members. What a wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now it sounds like Paul's talking about a cycle of things that he doesn't enjoy doing, but he finds himself doing. Have you ever been there where you're like, I don't really like doing this. I don't really even like this about myself, but I find myself doing it over and over again. And so he says, you know, I find myself doing the things I don't want to do, the things I shouldn't be doing, instead of the things that I want to do, the good godly things that I should be doing. And so he talks about what changed that finally. He said, what was the thing that changed me? And made the difference in my life. Who rescued me from this terrible cycle of doing the the wrong thing over and over again? Who, Who will rescue me from that? And he said the difference is when Jesus came into his life. 
And I want to tell you that first and foremost, that the rescue plan for your cycle of destruction is Jesus. The rescue plan for the changing of your behavior is Jesus. Now that might sound like an oversimplification of things, but the reality is if we come to Christ and we allow him to not only clean, clean us up, but to forgive us and to work in us to change us, then we'll see the change that we want to see take place. We'll see cycles broken, and we'll see a healthy life that loves God and follows him. Because I'll tell you right now, you can love God and serve God and still have all the cycles and still have all the hang-ups and still have all the things that you don't like about yourself present in your life and still be a Christian. But you've got to allow God to work in your heart and life. Paul acknowledges that struggle. He acknowledges that he finds himself doing the things he doesn't want to do. But he thanks God that Christ in him has changed who he is and changed what he thinks and what he uh, embraces and what he follows. There's an important thing that we must realize that's found in Galatians 2.20. It says, it's no longer I who live but Christ who lives in me. You need to know that as a Christian, Christ is present in your life. When we receive salvation, we receive the Spirit of Christ within us. But the degree to which you choose to live for Jesus is entirely up to you. You can be religious all you want in your life. You could be a Christian in name only and never experience God's transforming power in you to change you to become more like Jesus, not so that people will worship you, but that you'll make a difference in the life of others. You can make a difference in the life of others. And the things that you don't care for about yourself, those, those ugly habits and behaviors, that cycle can be broken in Jesus' name. In fact, I say it today, may the cycle of sin and habit and addiction be broken in your life this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Receive that today, that it be present in your life. Romans 12, 1 and 2 is a familiar verse. The scripture says, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Transformation only happens when we get into God's word and allow Jesus to change the way that we think change the way that we react, and change the way that we approach the world around us. Transformation begins in the mind. But when is the last time you actually thought about what you do? Stop for a minute and think about that. When was the last time you actually just thought about what you do instead of just doing it? Sometimes the things that we do, we do and we irritate people and it takes someone else to point it out to us. Did you know you do that? And then we get all offended that someone pointed out and called us out on our garbage, right? So we've got stuff in our life. We've got things that are not right. And instead of, like, reacting and remembering that, like, someone's pointing this out as a courtesy to us to try and help us change, we react negatively because we don't like someone addressing the problems we have within us. Believe it or not, there's a reason for everything that we do. And you might not be aware of the reason, but there is a reason. And you'll find this reason in reflection and prayer. Not just reflection about God and his promises, but by reflecting and examining ourselves in light of God's word. It helps us see what we need to change according to his commands. So everything begins somewhere. You didn't just wake up on the wrong side of the bed. 
okay? How many times you hear that? That person just woke up on the wrong side of the bed. Your bed has nothing to do with it, okay? It has everything to do with the circumstances you're walking into and how you approach it. It has everything to do with your perspective, if you're approaching things from a godly perspective or a worldly perspective. If you're approaching your problems with faith and the expectancy for God to do something, or if you're facing your every day with dread. Some people say you just wake up on the wrong side of the bed. No, it has nothing to do with the bed. It has everything to do with how you handle what's thrown at you. Every bad day starts with something. I was talking with one of the members of our church about this very thing, and it was the inspiration for this message. It was a conversation here at the Psalter. And that you know that everything starts with something. So like your bad day started with something. And it's called a snowball effect. So that one bad thing that sets you in the wrong mood. Maybe it was an email. Maybe it was a text. Maybe it was uh, your manager calling you and telling you you had to work later tonight as opposed to going home earlier like you wanted to. And that one bad thing started the day. Now the thing is that every little thing that happens after that one bad thing kind of sticks to that snowball and starts rolling down a hill. So like that one bad thing that puts you in a mood, all of a sudden like every little thing that everyone does is an irritant to you. And you start adding that to the snowball. And the snowball starts to go downhill. It starts to get bigger and it starts to get out of control. So I'll give you an example. If you woke up and you started the day and you went to go do your laundry, go check on your laundry, and your washer downstairs is leaking water all over the place, and you have no time to deal with that right now, and all you know to do is, like, I'll just take care of that later. How many know that that's frustrating? And your day has started with frustration, so everything else after that kind of tacks itself onto that frustration. If you had an argument with your spouse before you go into work, or dare I even say it, before you came into church, I know that doesn't happen, but just hypothetically, just walk with me for a moment, that maybe you had an argument with your spouse before you came in here today. When you have an argument with your spouse before you go in, everything else in that day is already going to bother you because things aren't right at home. Or if someone is unkind to you, either a family member, a friend, or coworker, or someone says something critical of the work you do, the rest of the week you might find yourself second-guessing the quality of the work that you do and some of the decisions that you make. Why? Because someone kind of put their finger in your chest and messed with your confidence, and so now everything that happens the rest of the week is kind of adding to that insecurity, if you will. So somebody says, hey, you know, Pastor Dan, your preaching stinks. Your service is too long. How many of that hurts, okay? That does hurt, and it may stink, but okay, but you don't have to always say it that way, okay? You can find a different way to say it. You could say, hey, you know what, let's send you down to the Billy Graham Training Center, and maybe for a week you could do better, you know? That would be a positive reinforcement right there. But how do you know when someone tells you, like, you stink, you're the worst, you're a terrible father, you're a terrible wife, you know, whatever the case might be, that hurts. And then, like, when you go into the next time you have to make a decision, you're like, am I making good decisions? I'm making right decisions. In your workplace, if, if your manager's like your work, you know, it's, it really needs help. And if you're an insecure person, like even like the positive reinforcement and criticism feels like negative criticism to you because you're in a fragile place, you know, it sets into motion the way the rest of your week is going to go. Acknowledge it. Recognize it. Everything traces back to that one thing that started off your day or start it off your weekend, a negative thing. And then every little tiny thing latches onto that 
and kind of snowballs out of control. Now, the difficult part is there's times you'll get up and you'll say to yourself, I don't know why I'm mad today. I don't know why I'm upset today. I don't know why I'm sad. But if you go back and you untangle the ball and you go back to it, you can say, okay, it started here on this day, on this morning, when this happened. If you can start there, I guarantee you your, your week, your day, your life is going to improve greatly. Because you can acknowledge it for what it is and say, that's why. And then going forward, say, God, I give that to you. Yes, that was frustrating. Yes, that was troubling. Yes, that was disturbing and bothersome to me. But I give it to you, and you're going to have to help me deal with it. It can be difficult and tangled. Another root is trauma. When trauma becomes a trigger. Now, what is trauma? Now, I work in the fire, I work in fire services. I work as a fire department chaplain. Uh, one of my jobs is to help comfort people in difficult circumstances and situations. Sometimes end-of-life situations, sometimes terrible tragedies. The definition of trauma is a distressing or disturbing experience that stays with you long after the experience is over. The trouble with trauma is that it hangs around until you acknowledge it and deal with it. So how does trauma trigger someone? Well, let me give an example. If you've ever lost a loved one to death or experienced, uh, you know, you had a, a loved one that either they had a prolonged illness and died or they died suddenly, you might find yourself after they die experiencing moments of forgetfulness, a uh, moment of lightheadedness, um, unexplained sadness, unexplained anger, uh, even weeks after that person has passed away. You might hear a song on the radio that reminds you of that person or even think that you might see that person in the crowd and immediately you're triggered in such a way that it creates emotional response in you where you find yourself crying in public places, which is never comfortable when you cry in a public place. You feel like you're embarrassed and sometimes you have to leave quickly because you're like, I'm just here checking out cantaloupes one moment and the next moment I'm bawling my eyes out. And no one wants to see you cry over cantaloupe, so you feel stupid about it, and you run out. But you don't know why. Can I tell you the reason why was your trauma? The reason why is because that departure of that person in your life means a lot to you. And these are normal things that when your brain doesn't know what to do with what you've been through, it starts to kind of short out a little bit. And it's important to recognize it, to trace it back to where it came from and say, okay, God, here's an area that really troubles me, upsets me, angers me, makes me sad or makes me fearful. And then giving it over to God and let God work through that so you can find healing. We might find ourselves getting mad, sad, upset, withdrawing from people or sometimes uh, ghosting them without an explanation the problem is you'll never find healing if you're constantly in defense mode. You'll never find healing if you're constantly withdrawing from others. What is the solution? Well, we have to confront what we've been through, as bad as it was, and then ask God to heal us from what we've been through. When God starts to heal that hurt, we can process life through the lens of a healthy point of view. And hear me when I say it, it doesn't mean that the memories of those things go away. It doesn't mean that you forget what you've been through. It doesn't mean that the, the, the loss of that person in a tragic car accident or if, if someone else took their life or if you've been through some horrible th things in your upbringing, it doesn't mean that that memory goes away. Instead, what it means is that God's healing that and you're giving it over to him. You, you're recognizing it as painful, as ugly, as awful, as sinful. 
And you're saying, God, I didn't like that. I don't enjoy that. That's not, that, that shouldn't have happened to me. And I absolutely 100% agree. That should have never happened to you. That should have never been allowed to happen to you. But it happened to you. And God can bring about healing in that life, so in your life, so that, that trauma that you've been through, you can have God heal it so that you can address it and you can find direction and health going forward. I want to talk to you about footholds to become strongholds. Let's look at Ephesians 4, 20 through 32. I'm, I'm going as fast as I can. I know it's been a long service so far, but... I'm going as fast as I can, but I believe that if we get these truths in our heart, that you will find freedom, that you will find breakthrough, and that you'll find that the chains of your past will start to come off of you. I want to share with you today that we will never find healing in our lives if we are constantly self-medicating ourselves in different ways. Self-medicating, I'm not saying you shouldn't take medicine, but what I'm saying is we sometimes do things to dull the pain. Binge-watching TV is a way to dull the pain. Did you know that? Because we're avoiding what we should be doing. Doom-scrolling through social media is escapism, and we don't deal with what we're thinking about or what we're feeling. Uh, Playing games on your phone, believe me, I do it too, okay? But when you've dropped four hours on that, it means that you're avoiding life and more than you think about it. The reason why you can't fall asleep at night is because you've put your phone down you're alone with your own thoughts, and now all the thoughts, they're like, hey, I've been trying to get your attention all day, but now you've been so distracted, but here's the brain dump of everything that you were stressed about right here, right now. So here's what you need to do with that. Stop avoiding thinking about the things that you need to deal with and start addressing them throughout your day so they don't attack you at night, so you can get some sleep. Because I tell you this much, social media, until you fall asleep, does not put you in a good frame of mind anyway, okay? I'm saying that as your friend, not just your pastor. Let God work in these areas by confronting these things. Ephesians 4, 20 through 32, I want you to look at this with me. And he says in verse 20, he says, that, however, is not the way of life you learn. When you heard about Christ and you were taught with him according to the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught in regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, and to be made new in the attitude of your mind, to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body, meaning the church. In your anger, do not sin, and do not let the sun go down while you're angry. Verse 27, and do not give the devil a foothold. Underline that, okay? Highlight it in your Bible. Put a pen mark underneath that sentence. He says, anyone who's been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up and according to their needs that it might benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with which you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ God forgave you. All right, you still with me? Paul writes this to the Ephesian church. 
And he speaks to several things. He talks about the fivefold ministry of the church in the beginning of chapter 4. And he says that their purpose is to prepare you for works of service. And he reminds them what they were saved from. They were, this is the Ephesian church. They weren't Jews. They were saved from idolatry and pagan worship. And he says you weren't, this was the old life you used to be a part of, but now you have a new life in Christ. And so you've been taught a different way. So don't go back to the old way of doing things. Don't go back to the old way of life. You know, die to your old self and put on the new self in Christ. He says, you are taught a different way. And if you have been following the Lord for any period of time, you know that we were taught a different way according to the Scriptures. And he says, don't just simply teach, uh, hear the teaching that you uh, were given, but instead they have to recognize that the way that they're living now is not the way the Scriptures tell them to live. The way that they were living was unbiblical and unchristian. It was carnal, selfish, quarrelsome, and combative. Have you ever known a Christian like that? I've known a couple who, although they're Christian, they don't act very Christian. Why? Because they haven't redeemed and lined up their spiritual walk with the everyday walk, and we need to do that. He says to them, be careful not to let the devil get a foothold. Now, some translations say don't give place to the devil. Some say do not give the opportunity to the devil, but one translation says do not give the devil a foothold. Now, two pictures are depicted here in this phrase, foothold. One is like the idea of a, a mountain climber climbing a mountain. Now, a mountain climber, if they are going to climb a mountain, they need to find a crease, a crack, a crevice, a ledge to be able to put their foot upon in order to be able to get the leverage they need to move forward and progress. That's one. The second one is the idea of a salesman who won't take no for an answer. So if you've ever had someone come to your door, they are very pushy, uh, and, you know, you're trying to get rid of them as nicely as you possibly can, and that person puts a foot in the door and says, you can't close it, I'm here, I'm not going to let you get rid of me that easily. That's the idea of a foothold. This is what the devil tries to do in the life of every believer and in the life of every church. And he tries to do it in the church, even in the church that Paul founded. Even the church that Paul was the founder and pastor of, he's saying, listen, the devil's trying to do this in my church. He's an apostle, okay? He performed miracles. He wrote three-quarters of the New Testament. And he's saying, yet still, the devil's trying to do this in my church. And if he's trying to do it in Paul's church, I would dare say his tactics haven't changed. And he's trying to do it in your church and in your life, okay? So... Part of this is not to give the devil a place and a foothold. Don't give him a, f- a foothold. Don't give him an open door. Don't give him an opportunity. Don't give him a place at your table. What are the things that give the devil a foothold in your life and in your church? Well, if you look at Ephesians 4, the list is extensive. Basically, every time we lie, every time we slander, every time we gossip, fight, steal, swear, or do anything out of malice, we give the devil a place at the table. I want to say that again, just so we know. Every time we lie, slander, gossip, fight, steal, swear, or do things out of malice, we give the devil a place at the table. When we do this, we give him room to do harm to us and to those around us. Because we're not doing the things the way God's word taught us to. We're doing the things the world's way. And quite honestly, the way the world does things and handle things is the devil's way. A foothold 
becomes a stronghold when you let it grow. I'll say say it again. A foothold becomes a stronghold when you let it grow. A foothold is when a casual sin becomes an unbreakable habit. A foothold becomes a stronghold when you didn't close the door the first time, and now the enemy comes in and out of the door of your life as often as he pleases. Can I encourage you to close the door on these sins instead of letting them become a revolving door in and out of your life? A foothold becomes a stronghold when a learned behavior becomes the dominant characteristic in your life. When that thing that controls your emotions and your reaction to things or prevents you from moving forward or keeps you from doing what God wants you to do or keeps you bound in fear, sin, and bondage so you can't be free. When that becomes a dominant characteristic of your life, that's a stronghold. When fear keeps you from moving forward in God, it's a stronghold. When sin and a habitual sin prevents you from wanting to go to church or wanting to worship or wanting to pray, that is a stronghold. So what should we do? The thing about roots is that you can only pull out the root if you identify it. All right? Did you know that there are weeds that look like flowers? I, I, I think this is funny, too. Kids love dandelions. In the springtime, they'll pluck up a dandelion. It's all puffy right on the outside. This adorable little dandelion, you know, this fluffy little cotton head on it. And what does a child do? A child takes that dandelion, and he blows it, and all the little seeds go everywhere. And we love to watch them float through the air. You know what you just did? You just spread weed seeds everywhere. But we don't think about it that way because it's a flower. There are wildflowers out there that look just like beautiful flowers that you would plant, but they're weeds. And they do that to kind of mix in with the other flowers so that you won't pull them up and pick them. There are things that are weeds in our life, but we don't even recognize it. There are bitter roots and sins that are deep inside our hearts. For example, a rude person can say, well, I'm not rude. I'm just telling it like it is, and I'm just giving tough love. No, you're rude. But we've kind of put a little flower on the top of it and say, this is the pretty way we present it. A person could push everyone around them away from them, even though they're trying to help, and they say, well, I'm being self-sufficient and resilient. No, you're afraid of people and commitment. Why? Because of things that you've been through. We like to put flowery names on some behaviors because it makes them more palatable. But if they are born out of a bitter root, it will only produce bitterness. Look, Genesis, uh, in the beginning, it says that every tree produces after its own seed. So you can't take bitterness and plant bitterness and find kindness come out of it. You can't uh, plant seeds of hatred and distrust and expect compassion to come out of that. Every tree and every plant produces fruit after its own seed and then in turn produces that seed also. Some ways that negative fruits show up in our life are from bitter roots. So let me give you some examples as as if this wasn't a personal enough message as it was. As if this message wasn't making you uncomfortable enough. But let me go and drill down a little further. Here are some of the ways that negative fruits can show up in your life from bitter roots. If you find yourself swearing or using foul language a lot, I've found that there's two sources from that. 
Either it's frustration with the circumstances you're in or it's the environment that you're brought up in. When we see those things in our life, if that becomes, and, and you may irritate yourself. You're like, why do I keep saying this? Why do I keep doing this? And the truth is, it's usually traced back to one of two things. You are frustrated by things, and because that frustration is there, it comes out that way. Or because you were raised in an environment, in a family where, like, that's how you express yourself. Those are the adjectives that you use. Those are the nouns and pronouns that you choose to use in the situation. Paul says to us, you weren't taught that way. You were taught a different way. So we are to be uh, and to walk in a different sort of way. Here's another one. If you're easily offended, prone to get upset and resentful, it's usually because you were disrespected growing up. And you look at everything through that lens of disrespect. You feel like people don't notice you, they don't respect you, and so you go back to that place from where you were young, and that's where you're speaking from. If you're sarcastic. Now, I can speak to this. I'm Italian, okay? Our fifth love, sixth love language is sarcasm. We didn't know how to express ourselves in a healthy way in the Italian family, okay? The way that we told you we loved you is we made fun of you. You needed to be nervous if we weren't making fun of you. It meant we didn't like you. Now, how backwards is that? That's terrible. That's unhealthy. But take it from a sarcastic person. Sarcasm uh, is because life has disappointed you. Sarcasm is the veiled voice of repeated disappointment. It's the voice of cynicism covered in comedy. I'll say it again. It's the voice of cynicism covered in comedy. But it's really the voice of heartbreak and the voice of a strained faith because we haven't seen it come to pass. And so we're like, yeah, right. Okay, sure. If you're anxious or chronic warrior, it's because you've encountered tragedy and trauma that you want to avoid for yourself and for your family. So if you've been through those terrible things and you, you're worried about those things or anxious about those things, you don't want that to happen to you again and you don't want it to happen to anybody else. So as a worrier, you try and prevent that. Can I challenge you with a thought that's, that's horrifying but yet somewhat comforting? Is that you can't stop every bad thing that's going to happen to somebody, no matter how hard you try. You can't stop bad things from happening to everybody as much as you might want to try. Be a protective parent. Be a caring husband. Be a loving spouse. Be someone that that takes care of people. But do not instill worry, fear, and anxiety into the next generation because they're going to miss out on so much that they could have done if they were courageous. Instead of looking at the world as always something fearful. Am I hitting too close to home? Are you still with me today? You know, God wants to demolish strongholds today. And the way you demolish strongholds is you recognize what they are. When Joshua drew the battle lines going into the promised land, he said, this city first. And in your life, you have to look at these things that are strongholds in your life. You say, I'm going to go and attack this city first. And in your own strength, you haven't been able to do it. In your own strength, you've failed every single time. But if you have the Lord on your side, and you tackle those strongholds by the Spirit of God, you will see that stronghold fall in Jesus' name. Here's another one. If you're a person that's constantly looking for others' approval, it may be because in your family you were never good enough. So you're constantly trying to get someone else's approval. Your parents have been dead for 20 years, and you're still trying to get their approval through other people. Here's an important principle for us to understand. If something is missing from your life, you might fill it with something else from this world. 
hear me, you've learned to survive but not heal. You've learned resilience from your experience, but you learned them in the world's classroom with the world's way of dealing with it. But instead, we must fill that empty space. We must fill that crack. We must fill that potential foothold. We must fill that empty space with Christ, who in the fullness of the Godhead dwells within you. Hear me, church. Everything that you need to fill that space in your life where others have let you down and others have failed you, everything that you need already resides within you in Christ. You just have to let him pour, like if you were melting gold down and you're pouring gold into something with a lot of cracks, that gold in its fluidity goes down into the cracks and fills all the cracks and fills all the holes. There is no deficit when you're walking with Jesus. There is no deficit when you let him into those areas of your life and you let him heal. He fills it with who he is, hallelujah, so that you can be who you were meant to be. Let him fill the spaces and the places of your pain so that you can be who he wants you to be. Christ doesn't want us to become cold or callous or anxious or fearful. He wants to heal us inside and out. Fill the space that is lacking in your life with Jesus. You see, his love counteracts the rejection of man. So hear me today. If you are dealing with a rejection mindset, it's the love of Christ that says, I love you as you. I love you where you are, and I'm going to love you on the journey that you're going. His love fills the space where rejection left a void. His mercy counteracts a critical and judgmental upbringing where you were never enough. If you were raised in an environment in a home where, like, you were always condemned and you're never good enough, guess what perspective, uh, perspective and attitude you're going to have? No one else is good enough. Everyone else falls short. And even though you've fallen short, you like pointing out where others fell short because then you feel better about how you fell short. When we recognize that God in his mercy has overlooked our flaws and forgiven our sins, then we can allow God's mercy to be poured out through us. His provision dispels worry. You don't have to worry about how God's going to take care of you and your family, how he's going to provide for your needs, what he's going to take care for you, because God's provision dispels worry. I know he's going to take care of me. I know he's going to take care of my family. I know he's going to take care of my future. His character and his promises drives out anxiety and distrust. Whereas people have failed you, they've made promises they haven't kept. Maybe it was an ex, maybe it was a spouse, maybe it was a former boyfriend or girlfriend, maybe it's family members who promised you something and they've never followed through. Where there is distrust and anxiety, we can trust in the character and the promises of God's word where he's not a man that he should lie. He's not someone who would promise you something and not do it because he said heaven and earth will pass away, but not one word or letter from my scriptures will pass away. His miracles dispel cynicism. You'll look at it and say, instead of not believing that it can happen today, you'll see it happen today, and you'll start to believe again. So do you see what you're missing out on? Do you see what you're missing out on when you have this perspective? 
So how do you identify the roots in your life? Three things real quick. How do you identify the roots? It's like easy, Pastor. You just walk through your garden and you find the roots. Well, if it looks like a weed, you pull it up, right? Okay. How many know that some weeds have deep roots? You ever pulled out one creeping vine? I get this creeping vine out of here. It's thin like this. You get to the root system. You're like, is this rope? You're like, it's like five feet, six feet of this root going down. And that's how it is in our hearts sometimes, that we've got this deep root that we never knew was there, and we've got to allow God to deal with it. So how do you, how do you identify the roots? Number one, spend time reflecting on the things that you do every day and ask God to help you identify the root. How often in your prayer times is it more than just asking God for stuff and instead examining yourself, looking at your day, reflecting on the day that you just had or what you did this week? David would pray the prayer, like, see if there be any wicked way in me that keeps me from following you. That's a self-examination thing. And we sometimes miss things because we're not examining our life and going, I do this a lot. Why is it that every time people want to get together with me, I withdraw? Why do I do that? Or, you know, every time, you know, my mother calls, I don't pick up the phone. Why do I do that? You know? Or when people bring up something about my life, instead of kind of taking it in a calm tone, why do I always take it as an attack on me and my character? Why do I do that? And just looking at the things that you do, reflecting on it, say, God, why do I do that? And the Lord will show you why you did that, why you continue to do it. It's in prayer and reflection that God will bring it out to you. Secondly, ask a person with spiritual discernment to help you. A pastor, a prayer warrior, a trusted spiritual advisor, talk to them, and they can help identify what's going on in your heart and life. Talk to them about it. Say, I don't know why I do this thing. You ask the question, then you pray, and sometimes by the Spirit of God, a word of knowledge or wisdom, God will reveal to that person why you do what you do. And they'll help you pray through it and find breakthrough. That's the second thing. Thirdly, a good counselor. Emphasis on the word good, okay? Not the person who likes to play pop psychologist with you. Not the person that thinks that they have a good handle on life. I mean someone who's trained to be able to help you untangle your life. I'll be honest with you, I refer out to a Christian counseling agency when I can't figure out what's going on with you. Because there's times where it might sound like one thing, but it's something else. A good Christian counselor that's been trained can help ask the right questions to bring out the things in your life that are the roots of why you go through them. So you need those three things. Self-examination and prayer. A good spiritual advisor to talk to that can help you find the spiritual reason behind what you're doing. And thirdly, a good counselor. Now, once you've found those things, what do you do with it? When it comes to roots, you have to pull it out. You don't just go, okay, there's a root. There's a weed. I'm just going to leave it there. Maybe we'll get bigger. I'll deal with it. It's harder to deal with and it gets bigger. It's easier to deal with when it's smaller. So how do you pull out the roots once you've identified four things real quickly? Number one, ask God for forgiveness. You know, the thing that you do habitually is taking the place of the good things that you should do. So there should be a thing where you, in your life where you go, you know, God, I'm sorry that I allow this into my life. God, I'm sorry that I, I find myself flying off the handle. I, I'm sorry that I, I don't follow through on my responsibilities. 
I, I'm sorry that I, I've let you down. You've, you've asked me to do stuff, and I haven't done what you've asked me to do. It's, it's important to ask God for forgiveness. Say, God, forgive me for letting this root take root in my life. Lord, I don't want anything to do with this anymore. Can you take it out? Secondly, forgive others. You want to remove a root, root, you'll find that most of the time the things, the trauma you've experienced and the difficulties you've experienced are at the hands of someone else. And even though you say, you know, you're past it, you've moved beyond it, you're still deeply wounded by that thing and you're kind of dragging yourself through life. You say you're okay, but you're not. You say you don't care what people think about you, but then you wonder, what are people thinking and saying about me? Okay, there's something wrong with that, okay? You do care what people think about you. You're trying to convince yourself that you don't care what they think about you. But the reality, you do. So forgive others. If you want to remove the power that that person has over your life, and if you want to remove the power of that root from tripping you up every single time, one of the best things you can do is ask God uh, to help you forgive them and to actually forgive them. Because when you forgive them, you start to acknowledge the pain that they caused. When you forgive them, you start to see what they did was wrong. It doesn't exempt them from what they did. What they did is horrible. What they did is awful. And one day they'll stand before God for it. Okay? So you're not letting them off the hook. But you're saying, God, I forgive them because I can see how this is affecting me, and I don't like it. I can see how that hurt has become the root that everything flows out of. And I don't want that to be the case. So ask God for forgiveness. Forgive others. Thirdly, renounce the old way of living. The way that you used to do things. Break the chain and cycle of what you learned from your parents. What you learned from the world. What you learned from your colleagues. What you learned from your classmates. The way that you handle conflict. The way that you handle and deal with people. The way that you avoid responsibility. Whatever the case might be, break that cycle and say, you know what? I used to do these things, God. So here's the thing. You know that you do them. God showed you. Now, what am I going to do with that? I'm recognizing that I do that now, and God, I I choose not to do that anymore. Instead, I'm going to go into the Word and say, what am I supposed to do? If I have a greed problem, I'm not going to steal any longer, but I'm going to work with my hands and be generous. If you look through Ephesians 4 there, give solutions. Stop doing this thing and start doing that thing instead. Change the way that you look at things and change that behavior. Renounce the old way of living And number four, renew your mind. Ask Jesus to teach you a different way according to his word. Renew your mind with the scriptures. If you are going to try and change yourself with the same way that you've always been thinking, you are not going to change. You are not. Your best intentions, willpower is not enough. Good intentions are not enough. You need God's spirit to help you, and you need his word to direct you a different way. Otherwise, you're going to keep on trying to do good things in a broken way. You're going to keep trying to do good things a wrong and evil way. It's like, hey, look, I stole from somebody to give you a gift. Here you go. Or look, hey, you know, uh, I got the promotion at work. Thanks be to God, but I slandered my coworker so I could get it. Right? We, it's, we're, you'll continue to do things in a broken way until you're shown a different way, and God needs to show you a different way through his word and the transformed by the renewing of your mind. So say you do this. So say you find the root. You say, okay, there's a root. It doesn't belong there. This root is, is my past. My father neglected me when I was younger. That's a root. I'm going to pull that up. My wife left me when we were newly married for someone else. That's a root. I've got to pull that up. You know, 
my family has a history of addiction. My, my grandfather had addiction. My father has addiction. And now, and now I struggle with addiction. You identified that root. Okay. And now I'm going to pull it up. And that's great. And you, you reach down and it takes work. It takes effort. It takes counseling. It takes prayer. It takes all the things. You pull that sucker out. And what happens when you pull a root out of the ground? What's left? A what? A hole. There's still a void left in your life. Do you understand what I'm saying? When you pull a root out, there's a void. You've got to now plant a good seed in that hole that used to be there. So what used to be addiction pulled out and now redemption. What used to be uh, rejection pulled out and now acceptance by God. What used to be there that was a deficit is now God's pulled that out with his, with his help. He's pulled that out of your life. And you need to plant something good in its place. And allow God, by the fruit of his spirit, to allow something else to grow there, what used to be awful stuff. Now good things will grow. The fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control. Let God grow those things in who you are. But you've got to replace it with something. Because you know what's going to happen if you don't. You're going to go back to the things you used to go to to fill that hole and to fill that void. But God wants better for you. Do you believe that today? You guys have been so incredibly patient. I've been talking to you for a long time. Did you get something out today? Hopefully, this is more of a teaching than a preaching, but I believe that God doesn't want any more footholds in your life. I believe he doesn't want any more strongholds in your life. I believe he wants you to be free by the power of his spirit. I believe that he wants you to walk in the fullness of the life that he has and to recognize that what you need is not somewhere else in this world. That Christ in you, the hope of glory, He's already in you. He already has given his Holy Spirit to dwell in you. You have everything that you need in him. And if you don't know who he is today, if you've never experienced salvation today, I want you to know today is your day too. Okay? Today is the day in, today is the day in which you say, you know what, I've been trying to do this myself, but as you've been talking to me, as you've been pushing my buttons, Pastor, I recognize there's something in my life that needs changing. And I realized that I need Jesus to change those things because I can't change myself. And maybe you've even given up on changing yourself. But can I tell you today, change is possible, and the answer and the rescue is Jesus. As Paul said, who will rescue me from this body of sin and death? Thanks to be, be to God, Jesus Christ, our Lord. So are you weary? Are you heavy laden? As I've been talking today, as God's been putting his finger on some things in your life, if so, today, I want you to know that we are here to pray for you and to believe that God will bring about a breakthrough because that's what he does. That's what he does in your life. And he does it, and he's been doing it for 2,000 years. This morning, he can do that in you. In a moment, I'm just going to pray. And after I pray, if you feel like anything that I've spoken to you has touched a chord in your life, there will be people here to pray with you and believe God that God's going to pull that root out and start directing you in a way so that you can bear good fruit, lasting fruit, godly fruit in your life. So others will, instead of avoiding you, people are going to be drawn to you. Receive that now in Jesus' name. Instead of avoiding you, people are going to be drawn to you because what you have is so much better than what you used to have. And you're going to be a different person because of that. Can we bow our heads today? Let's just bow our heads for a minute. I don't know where you are today. I don't know what's going on in your life. But I can't help but believe today that as I've been sharing this with you, this has been speaking to your heart and to your soul. 
you recognize that there are areas that are deep holes in your life that need to be filled by the things of God and to fill with your life with good things so that you can grow and, and move forward instead of being stuck. This morning, I can't help but recognize that there are some people that are recognizing roots in their own life that need to come up and need to be cast out and burned, that only a God by his power can help you identify them and deal with them. And believe me when I say it might be uncomfortable, it might be uh, awkward at times, but trust me when I say when you confront it, it will be hard, but God will give you the strength to do it. Don't try and do it in yourself. So can we pray today? If, if any of these things that I've said spoken to you in a moment, I'm going to pray, and after I pray, please come forward. We will be here to pray with you and believe God for your breakthrough this morning. So let's pray. Father, we thank you. Thank you for your word and your spirit, which is life and light. Thank you, Lord, for the transformational power that's still available to all of us who believe. And I pray this morning that those who have heard my words would let it come deep into their heart, Lord God, and that they would see a change take place. Today is the day of breakthrough. Today is the day of of demolishing strongholds. And I pray that you'd give people the heart and the strategy to break them down so that they can be truly free. For whom the Son sets free is free indeed. And we believe that today. And we agree upon it, calling it done in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. We invite you to join us Sunday mornings to worship with us. We are located at 267 College Highway in Southwick, Massachusetts. For more information about Living Hope Church, visit us online at www.livinghopechurchag.org.